part of the conversations that happen around my kitchen table. He's John Branion and he's been a stand-up comic for more than 30 years. She's Amanda McKinney and she's been my daughter for her whole life. Our family believes laughter is a gift from God. We often discover it while discussing culture, faith, and family. So go ahead and pull up a chair, neighbor. Can I call you Carl? There's plenty of room here for you. Snowed a couple of days ago, Carl. So it's cold here, and there's some snow on the ground. But we're used to that here in Indiana. Uh, Luke did a show a yes, couple days ago. Yes, I did. And told me a little bit about it, but you didn't tell Carl. I. It was uh, another show with Dave Dugan. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a sold out show at a uh, a vineyard, mm-hmm. uh, but with the snowy, slick weather, it was probably sixty percent full. So, let's say, uh, what, 30, 35%, 40% of the audience stayed home because of the weather. Yeah. It, it was, you purchased a table was how the tickets went. And mm-hmm. so, <coughs> there were several tables. No with, chairs? With nobody in them. Well, you, there were some chairs. Oh. There were some now, chairs. to be fair, it was a little bit different from our weather pattern typically. Yes, I know. It was I super know. slick. But well, there. because normally, in, normally, the snow would start in the evening sometime. It would snow through the night, and then by the next morning, the plows would have already had a chance to do some scraping and some salting. And so, usually, there's like like a, a couple hour delay in the morning for school or for right. work commute. This started like in late morning, at like noon, yeah. like at lunchtime. It started yeah. snowing, which is very weird. So everybody was already at work in school and not really expecting to have to slide their way home when it was totally dry. To get there in the yeah, morning. it was it was pretty hard to drive on. There there was a day when we here in Indiana grew up I grew up in northern Indiana, and this was that was the sort of weather that we had fairly frequently. And so you would drive around in slick weather, and it wasn't really a problem. Everybody was used to it, but now it's a little different. Um, slide off. And- I crashed into a telephone pole, Carl. <laughs> but that wasn't that day. <laughs> that's, no, that that's was technically a different day. not true. That yeah, that's true. I she didn't... crashed into the ground wire that comes off of a telephone pole. I wouldn't even call that a crash. I snagged the ground wire, and it grabbed my tire, and then I yanked the top of the pole down. And then she broke the pole. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with but my that car. was because there was. Uh, black ice. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it if wasn't, it had looked like it did on Friday, right, I wouldn't have been driving crashed. more carefully. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, it was very deceiving because the sun was out and it was shining, and it had not snowed for like three days. Mm-hmm. But there had been some like dew on the ground, and it had drip dipped below twenty degrees the night before, and I didn't realize because the weather forecast said it was going to be forty five that day, and it was as of eight o'clock in the morning. It was really hard to stop the van. Right and before we got to the she intersection. She needed the assistance of a ground wire and a pole to yeah. stop the van. And and legitimately, if I hadn't snagged that wire, I don't think we would have come to a stop prior to... Hitting the pole. No, no. Mm-hmm. I missed the pole for oh. sure. But I was just a few feet away from the intersection. Mm-hmm. And so I might have ended up out in traffic, which potentially would have been worse. So I think you'd have ended up pretty far in that ditch. I don't, I don't think you would have made it to the street. Well, I drove into the ditch, though. Right. So if I hadn't done that, if I had continued to just hope that I found some traction before the intersection, I don't think that it would have been enough before we got. But everyone was yeah. okay, and the van is only mildly damaged. And Everybody was only fine. a few Could days from worse. being fixed and back, back with us. So. My bigger kids were a little upset about the whole thing, about being perpendicular with the road instead of <laughs> on it. Instead of on it, yeah. <laughs> and and obviously it was kind of a big crunchy sound when the wire caught the van and grabbed the wheel well. Yeah, you're you're well all, all auto accidents are traumatic. But uh yeah, your first your first mishap like that that isn't like not a serious, you know, crash where things are Cars are totaled and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Your first, your first fender bender or running off the road or something like that is pretty traumatic. Well, and I have been in a more serious crash before. I wasn't driving. Yes. Um, but like the car ended up catching fire. 
Yeah, and we had I, to evacuate. And that was certainly more of an event for me. When we were in the ditch, I was like, oh, drat. I'm, and there was a telephone pole involved, so there were wires. I was like, we don't want to get out yet just in case. I'm going to call Luke and see if he can come and look at this from the outside and tell me what he sees and all of that. But but the kids were in the back crying, and they were going, we crashed. <laughs> crashed so yeah yeah so now every time yeah. we drive past it which is every public school right we there's there's our pole that's have they still, replaced it yet or is well it they still? did like within hours yeah. it, like within two hours they had a new pole next to it but the wires are still attached to the old broken one so then they set that one up next to the new pole and it's just like half the height right so they're both sitting there now, the new yeah. one and then the broken one. There's a new power pole with power lines. The other, the lower lines are like internet and cable and stuff. Yeah, like and I don't know if they're planning to to replace that Probably one. Probably not. They're just gonna leave it all broken. It's it's stable. It's upright. But yeah, <clears throat> as long as nobody short. runs into it again. Well, I mean, if I have to, <laughs> so I don't slide out into onto the highway, then I might. I'm not saying I won't. So yeah, we've so, had snow. Had comedy shows. We've had car accidents. You drove all the way up to Wisconsin. Or I drove to yeah. Oh, to tell us outside of Milwaukee. Right, he's gonna say Milwaukee because he knows how to say that. <laughs> tell us the city that you were in. Waukesha. Uh, yes, <laughs> that is. I had to stop and think. Mm-hmm. Waukesha. Uh, I told them that I've been mispronouncing the name of their town. I said I've been calling it Waukesha, and. A fair number of the people there were like, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and then there uh, were other people like, it's Waukesha. And so they started like a little back and forth there. Says and I said to them, I said, do you guys even know how to pronounce the name of this town? So there's Nobody some, says Waukesha. There is some. Is that the Kyle Rittenhouse town? Yes. Is it? Yeah. That sounded familiar. Yeah. Waukesha was sort of famous for, or Waukesha, if you prefer, <laughs> was famous <clears throat> for. That little incident, uh, but it was it went it was good. It was a good crowd. The, the thing about uh, shows, we were who was I talking to this weekend? Was it Ken? It was with Ken Kington. I can't remember. But we were talking about how most of the shows that you do are just oh, was it the Q and A? We had a brief Q and A, and they were asking about that. And I said the thing about they asked, what's your favorite venue? You know, what's your favorite show that you've done? Mm -hmm. And I understand why that question is asked, because if you don't do hundreds and hundreds of shows like I've done, then you're going to go, oh, well, there's probably one that sticks out as your favorite. And that would have been true my first two or three years in comedy, I suppose. But I've been doing it so long now, and I told him, the answer's going to make me sound like a prima donna who doesn't really care about stuff, Um but it's just that after so many years of doing this, it's become a job. It's become a, a thing that I do. It's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Because I, one of the questions I asked Mandy yesterday was, well, did John have fun? Like, as if that was... <laughs> because, yes. like, I forget that you yeah. and Dugan, who and people who do this for a living, they yeah. don't approach shows the way I do, which is just this unbridled excitement. And right. Well, and well, it's not just that, but, like, but when we're dissecting a show the priority isn't whether you had fun right. whether like, i enjoyed if myself you had or fun not. great it's right, not right. like oh we need to avoid fun but like our our measurement or our standard for what a good show is doesn't have a whole lot to do with whether dad is personally my personal fun. feelings of it <laughs> right yeah. like yeah. it had to do with yeah. um how do you how was the trip there like are we making the best use of our time when it comes to travel arrangements? Like, you know, coordinating the details of his travel. Is that working smoothly? Um, did he have enough advance notice on when he was going to be needed to be places? And, you know, if there've been times where we forgot that it was a different time zone, you know, or something like that. So it's like, okay, it's, it's more logistics and right. like technical well, it'd be, things. It'd be akin to asking somebody at their, whatever they do at their job, you know, Hey, what was, what was your favorite moment at your job? Yeah. And they might be able to do it, but for the most part, the, the days all run together and you can remember when something, 
when something really extraordinary, good or bad, happens, you tend right. to remember that. <laughs> good or bad. You don't. Yeah, you remember that. But, but honestly, it gets it's to a point where you just go and you do a show, and unless it is a phenomenally good show, unless it's like, my gosh. The walls are shaking and the roof is coming off and these people are insane. They're laughing so hard they won't stop. Unless it's that, then you're like, it's just another yeah, show. It's a show. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't write home about it. You don't go home and record in your diary that you. One of the ways that you can tell, one of the ways that I can tell newer comics from seasoned comics is when you ask them how the show went. Yeah, and if they reference their feelings about it or if they say oh i killed i i really <laughs> killed it's like you haven't been doing this very long have you because you don't remember you don't think of it in those terms right and there's been there's been a number of shows that have been really good shows successful shows but it wasn't because the audience was falling out of their chairs with laughter it was because of something else entirely there's i mean some of the some of the hardest shows to do have been the most successful right. because they were hard, and I and I was able to perform at a level to where the uh, the the client it's usually a right. corporate thing was really happy with what I did. Right now, this is why it's hard to answer the question of did he have fun or was it a good show. It's even harder to answer the question of was it a good show, because when it comes to our family, especially talking about what defines a good show always goes in that direction. And so it would be like asking, um, did you have a good week this week? The week that I crashed mm -hmm. was not a bad week. And we ended up having all nine cousins over at our house the very next day after the accident. And there was a sleepover, for the epic cousin which sleepover. would have been for some people that would have been like two fairly traumatic things yeah. <laughs> right in a row, you know, right. but when people were asking me, Oh man, how did you manage, you know, are you guys okay? And they asked, are we okay? And the answer was, yeah, like we actually were okay. And then, I mean, the sleepover was chaotic and there was a lot of noise and a mess afterwards, but I knew that it would be. And so therefore, therefore it was okay. And so it just, your perspective on things has a lot to do with it. How anything, any single event could be both good and bad or yeah. both challenging and successful at the same time, depending on how you look at it. That's and so our conversation when he was driving home, which was like a five hour drive home, um, had to do with sort of dissecting all of the minutia. So it's like, okay, we knew how many tickets were sold. It was a good number. We knew he got a lot of good feedback at the end. Okay, well now though, let's talk about, you know, some of the emotional things that maybe went into the travel mm -hmm. process or, you know, right. whatever. I have trouble taking a compliment because from, from the audience perspective, it was probably fine. But from my own, it's like, I know what jokes I flubbed up. I know mm -hmm. what ones I forgot to do entirely, which bothers me. And I know... Like there was music playing when I went up and I didn't even recognize that it was like something was off with the sound, but I didn't even, I wasn't present enough to be like, so music was playing the whole too? time you were up on stage. The first minute or two. Yeah. Hmm. They had like country music playing. Right. So did you tell them to stop or did they stop on their own? No. By the time I even realized, I was like three or four bits in before I realized this, there's, there's music playing. Like that's how not present I was, right. which bothers me. Hmm. Um, but. <laughs> right. You know, so all of that is in my head when somebody says, hey, you did a great job. It's like, I could have been so much better. Yeah. Well, that's, that's that self-focus that I think a, a newer comic has. Well, right? I'm kind of talking about that, though. I'm kind of talking about the introspection that a comic, a good artist will do one way or another. A newbie, like Dad was saying, would just go, oh, I got a lot of great feedback, so it was a good show. Mm -hmm. Whereas a more seasoned performer would go, okay, what are the things I could have done better? So on the one hand, this happened and that was great and I'm glad that happened. But on the other hand, I wasn't very present and I could do better on that at that next time. So it's complicated when somebody says, how was the show? You have right. both of those things in your mind at the right. same time. And there isn't anything necessarily wrong with having enthusiasm about getting up on stage and doing a show. I get that. I still get that. I still get a, a sort of a adrenaline i get a little bit of a rush and people will ask do you get nervous when you go on stage and it's not nerves 
but it definitely is a, a change in energy before I'm going on stage. It's complicated. Uh, Corey and I were talking that about after, after he leads worship, especially in an evening service, like he won't be able to go to sleep for a while because mm-hmm. there's that that high. And I was like, I can totally relate to that. If I come home from a show, I'm not. I can't go right to bed. I'll have right. to mill around for a while. Right. But it's complicated. Do you get though. that? Do you still have that after show? Yeah. High and, or is that? A lot that of times way. that's how I'm able to drive home. If oh, okay. I'm, I'm like three hours from home. I know I've got an hour and a half of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. If I get in the car, I'll be able to drive. But it's, so, yeah. it's complicated, though, because depending on the individual, some people interpret that as anxious or mm-hmm. bad. Like mm-hmm. some people take that energy and their inability to just go right to sleep. And they're like, oh, that must mean that I am nervous whereas dad just specified oh it's not really nervousness it's just adrenaline Mm -hmm. and so depending on who you're talking to and what they think adrenaline means you you may not be speaking the same language like i one of the big things that i had to learn after having my first baby was a lot of my postpartum anxiety which which i called anxiety at the time was just adrenaline and when you can change your perspective on that like insomnia is not pleasant i i could not fall asleep no matter what i tried but i've also managed to become less traumatized by that reality just by going okay i guess that's how it is and eventually i will be able to fall asleep again whereas a person who hasn't kind of done that work to be okay with the adrenaline and make peace with it now you're going to say all of my postpartum experiences have been quote bad you know all of all of my shows are good except i have this anxiety still or i still have nervousness whereas right. you could maybe learn how to just say it it's adrenaline it's energy you could just call it energy i have energy after the show you know? well and the only reason i know what it is is because i do know what nervousness is i know what it is to be anxious about something and that usually stems from not knowing how things are going to go or or thinking that they're not going to go well that's what nervousness is if everybody right. if you knew for sure that it was going to be a smash hit and you knew that you wouldn't be nervous well the difference between excitement and anxiety is simply whether you're looking forward to it or not right that's it right hmm. the only difference between the adrenaline you feel that you interpret as thrill you know a thrilling or pleasurable thing and the anxiety that you feel, which is also adrenaline, is the fact that you don't want it to be happening to you when it's anxiety, and you do welcome it when it's a thrill or excitement. Right. The difference between the dreading going to the dentist's office and looking forward to waking up on Christmas are basically the same thing. But yeah, this is what makes Silas so so yeah. great. He's he's six years old. He has he's the youngest. He's been the youngest until July his whole life. And everything's always been taken care of for him. Like, he never really has needed to worry about anything. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you can make the argument that none of us need to worry about anything. Well, that was about to make that argument. But but he has never actually had to think about it on this level. It's not a a logical choice. It's just reality that he tends to take things as they come. And whenever something happens to him, like... I got to go get surgery on this hernia and I'm and my legs are going to be wobbly for the rest of the day because of the anesthesia. As soon as you explain to him, oh, that's normal. He's like, okay. Right. And he's very quick to accept whatever it is, whether he's feeling, you know, hungry or he's feeling a little tired or he's feeling whatever his feelings are, as long as there's somebody there to go. Yeah, but it's normal. It's uncomfortable maybe, but it's also normal. He's it's not going to last. He's quick to go. All right. And accept it. He handles nausea and vomiting better than I do. Yes. Yeah, he will throw up and then just immediately be like, well, I feel better now. (laughs) Like five seconds ago, I felt really bad. But now I feel pretty good. He curls up and goes back to sleep. (laughs) He does. He does does not worry about 10 more seconds from now at all. Right. What if I I throw up again? Oh, well. I throw up. with that when I get there. (laughs) I throw up and I start thinking about how my family would do without me. (laughs) Would they be okay? Yeah. Well, this is it. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, there is that nausea will do that to you. Nausea does that to me. There is like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it through this. Adrenaline is associated with vomiting. Like Mm. there's an adrenaline response immediately before and immediately after throwing up. 
not that I know from personal experience because I haven't thrown <laughs> up for I never years. do it. Yeah. I never do. But I looked into this when I was struggling with insomnia. She like, has a clinical knowledge of it. What What not is the nature of, of anxiety? Like what is the physiological thing happening in my body when I have insomnia or when I'm like having heart palpitations and I'm sweating and I can't relax? And it's literally the same response that you get when you're on a roller coaster mm -hmm. yep. or you're performing on stage, which yep. is one thing that my family yep. has never really been afraid of. We just kind of embrace it as part of our life. You know, everybody everybody talks into a microphone sometimes. Yep. And so the fact that it yep. terrifies certain people is curious to me. I'm like, well, what is it that makes some of us interpret it as just sort of a thrilling thing and others are just like petrified? And it's really your perspective people on are, it. Yeah. It's it's also, it, you can beat it with exposure therapy, which is sort of yes. what we talked about yeah. earlier with people who are, you know, they're, they don't think of themselves as teachers or they're yeah. not comfortable being in front of people. It's like, you just have to take that step of Go faith and put yourself in the, in the situation. And then the next time it's like, it's not the unknown anymore. You at least know what you're walking into. Right. And then as you do it more and more, you get more comfortable. Yeah. Well, there's also, it's, it is true when you're doing public speaking, at least, that your what you tell yourself when you first start doing it when you get up in front of people is all those people are going to be looking at me and they're going to be thinking bad things about me and they're going to be you know I'm going to look like a fool I'm going to fail they're not going to like me and there are certainly people who are going to think that but it's not the majority of people most of the time when you get up in front of a room full of human beings they want you to succeed at some level because it's awkward for us to watch somebody else fail. If you're in the audience and you watch somebody who's not doing a very good job, um, there are a few people who will mock and ridicule, and but for the most part, everybody is now feeling your adrenaline. Everybody in the audience is now also having an emotional reaction to your failure, and it's not good. So they don't really want that. They, they're pulling for right. you. Right, but I really think that for a lot of people, they're not even thinking about the audience so much as they're just hyper-focused on their own body chemistry. Like, I, I think it's important for people to know, if you struggle with what you think is anxiety, especially social anxiety, because like being in a social situation makes me sweat. It's like there have been multiple times where I've been teaching in a classroom setting, feeling totally fine and it wasn't until afterwards that I was like man my pits are sweaty mm -hmm. or like you know I've got right. a, I'm glistening a bit I got warm while I was you know up there the difference is that I'm not overly concerned about it it's like I guess sweating is part of it sometimes or you know my my heart rate is elevated a little bit right you know my I'm starting to lose my voice a bit it's, I got a bit of a dry mouth okay take some water with you like there are two ways you can handle that mm -hmm. you can either compensate for it, know that it's part of the, of the whole thing and take some water with you. Or you can be like, I can never public speak again because right. I get sweaty and dry mouth, you right. know? So I, I just think that people feel a little bit more reassurance maybe if they know that even the pros have adrenaline, you know, when they go up on stage and when they come back down, they maybe can't just curl up and take a nap. <laughs> right afterwards right. but who says that you should be able to do that well if no. you're going to be uh if you're going to be doing stand-up for example if you're going to be making a presentation you want the person who's making a presentation to have some level of elevated energy right you know you want to otherwise it's going to be a downer i mean if, right. the, if the guy is on the verge of falling asleep because he's just got no uh anticipation for what he's about to do that's not that's not good. Right. Well, without adrenaline, you literally wouldn't wake up. Like, that is the thing. I learned this when I was struggling with insomnia. Like, the alternative, the other extreme is passing out and being so lethargic that you're unable to even be conscious. Like, mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of sleep meds cause you to not even be able to wake up fully throughout the day. And so drowsiness is the symptom for, throughout the whole day. If you're going to wake up in the morning after having been asleep, adrenaline is involved. And so if you can go, if you can just associate it with alertness and right. with energy, as opposed to like fearing that it, that you're, quote, too, you know, energized or too alert, um, then you can do a lot to alleviate just that secondary anxiety that comes from 
overthinking it, from worrying too much about your own body system. Because God gave us adrenaline for good reasons. Now, there are also people who go the other direction. They love to be, they love to be energized so much that they, <laughs> they become addicted to another kind of, of drug. And then they don't sleep for like five days, and that's not good either. But, right, right. Yeah. But that hasn't happened. I've been doing stand-up for three decades, and it's never kept me awake for days. No. <laughs> no, the natural adrenaline yeah. response doesn't usually. Yeah, no, doesn't there usually. Have been times, there have been times I've woke up and I've had a bit or a, an idea for a joke that I've had to write down. Yeah. In um, the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those and usually so- aren't the best ones, but. No, they're usually not. We won't go there. But anyway. <laughs> it's the shower ones for me. Those are the good ones. Uh, the shower is is good for me, too. Mm. There's a, but, but that makes sense because you're up. You've got that, that fresh shot of adrenaline in the morning, mm-hmm. and you're and that's when you're, that's when you're your sharpest. And you notice that like in the afternoon, after you get back from lunch or whatever, productivity and energy and creativity, everything tanks. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And yep. so literally just today I was talking to Tabby, just giving her examples of common, you know, homeschool mom pitfalls and like describing for her how I just managed those pitfalls in my own life. She was like, you know, at the end of the day, I just feel so defeated. I feel like no matter what I do, what I've given my time to, I just put it in the wrong places. And I said, that's because it's the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I said, you should wake up in the morning, plan your day, pray over it, ask God for wisdom plot the day, um, and decide the priorities then so that by 3 o'clock, when you're starting to question everything, you can be like, no, I know that when I was fresh, this was the decision I made, and I'm sticking to it through those doldrums. But I think it's funny that I mentioned afternoon and you mentioned afternoon too because I tend to get like a second wind around the evening time, like around dinner. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's definitely like 2 to 3 p.m. for me in that area where I'm just like, I could check out. I could pass out and go to sleep right. and not and not wake up again if I didn't have to for days. Yeah, it's good. It's a, we'd be good to have a siesta at that time. Yeah, but we don't live in the right country for that. Well, my kids are a little old. When they were smaller, I could probably have taken a siesta around that time because that was nap time for them. But now they've passed that, and so. I just have to push through. I just have to be mentally aware. Oh yeah, this happens every every day. That doesn't mean that I did something wrong. I don't have to be anxious about right. what my body's doing right, right. now. Right. And if you do have some what feels like anxiety or you do feel keyed up about something, Carl, it's not necessarily not necessarily bad. You don't necessarily yeah. have to go, "Oh, I need to do something to calm down." Right. Because calm is not always is not always the appropriate state of mind. No, sometimes sometimes, <laughs> sometimes agitation calm. is correct. I saw a video of a lady. It was released by police uh, police cam, um, where she was so calm that she was sleeping in the middle of traffic with her car. <laughs> yeah, you don't want drive. that. You don't want to be that calm. You don't Carl. want that. You don't want to be asleep in the middle of the street, Luke, when they announce your name <laughs> to go up on stage. Nope, that is true. Luke McKinney. <laughs> <laughs> No, she wasn't even yawning. I don't know any performer with that persona, though. The guy who's nearly asleep the whole time. Well, unless it's made up, unless it's unless it's a character that they're playing. Saying that would be original. I might have to think about that. Well, you had some. There have been some uh, melancholy comics, like Stephen Wright is a guy who's pretty low energy. Yeah. That, I would. I was thinking of him when you said nobody yeah. has the sleepy persona. I would he's say not, he's not. It's not sleepy. Though. He's kind of sleepy. Mm-hmm. That's low yeah. energy. But that's that's people who overcompensate for their anxiety. A lot of times they'll become kind of dependent on the downers. Then right. And then mm-hmm. they end up. Well, <laughs> it's not good behind the wheel. Yeah, you know, it's not good to be agitated all the time. Obviously, but it's also not. Nece- it's not good to be a person who's never worked up about things you know if you if you have no enthusiasm or passion or agitation about anything that's not good either i got to the point this is just i'm just thinking of colin screaming at your missed putt (laughs) (laughs) grandpa 
fuck. Colin was get it together. Colin was a little upset with me watching me play video golf this afternoon. Colin's not a sleepy character. He always has a little energy. Uh, it missed really, a couple of putts. But really this, affected him. This is free advice or free free tidbit from somebody who was after giving birth and then also after having COVID struggling with sort of fluctuation between what felt like anxiety, too much adrenaline, and then like tanking, you know, because I hadn't slept properly and then just like having no motivation. So it's bouncing between anxiety and depression. Mm. I got to the point where my goal was to be thankful for whichever one was happening at that moment. It's like, okay, I know what it's like to feel like I can't sleep. And now I know what it's like to feel like I just can't keep my eyes open. I just want to crash. And it's like, well, how come I can't just be like, at least now I have a little energy or at least sure it's kind of uncomfortable, but at least now I feel like I could go to sleep, you know, (laughs) whatever was happening instead of wishing I were in the other place. I was wherever I'm at now. I wish I was the other place because that's what Americans do. They want to, they want to drink coffee until five PM. They and just then want to drop to sleep and at, monster at, energy drinks. And then eight. yeah, they want to have yeah. they want to have ambient and wine for with dinner, you know, because I'm yeah. not gonna be able to fall asleep now. And so they just constantly drug themselves into the opposite state of mind. Oh, wherever they're at. Yeah. And it's like, I don't wanna do that. I wanna just be like, okay, God made this body and I'm awake now, and so I'm gonna trust that there's a reason for me to be wide awake and I'm gonna do what I can with this energy right now. And mm. then if I start feeling really sleepy later. I'll take it. I'll sleep. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be like Paul. You're going to be content in whatever circumstance you find practice. yourself. I practiced trying to be content because it wasn't easy. It's it's hard. But. Can we uh, can we talk briefly about beating dead horses? Um, well, I thought we were going to talk about education, and we're well into this podcast episode talking no about anxiety instead. Well, we can what's, talk about we can talk about education if you. What's want. the dead horse? Yeah, what's that, the dead horse? Well, the dead horse it would be um, as I, as I was thinking about going into oh education, it occurred to me that we speak quite a bit about education, and this week, the, the way that my blog works, uh, Carl, I'll just let you in on a little secret. The blog is usually reposts of things that I've written on my Facebook page. Usually that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so the, and now the, blog, you know. the blog also gets posted onto Facebook. And so the conversations that have been taking place on Facebook the last couple of weeks are now starting to trickle out onto the blog. And so there are some people who don't know how this works who read a, my post about um, audiobooks or not books which is something that we talked about a few weeks ago. And can we just normalize that reading a book is the same as listening to an audio book? It's the same thing. They're both reading. And so we had a conversation about, well, no, actually they're not. They're two different things. (laughs) And so that blog post came out and I had a few people who were like, can't you leave this alone? Do Do you have to keep beating this dead horse is what I was... So I told you have to keep beating a dead horse. Yeah. And it occurred to me uh, that I don't think this horse is necessarily dead. I mean, beating a dead horse is when you've already, you've already said everything there is to say and everybody has made their positions clear and, and there's no place else to go. But the thing with the, with reading and specifically the idea that words mean things and America is deconstructing our language and even something like, you know, the word book uh, is being deconstructed. Mm-hmm. So it's not a dead horse. It's it's actually a topic that's still very relevant and needing to need to be repeated. Right. Well, it's like when people would ask you, oh, why do you keep choosing to die on this hill? Yeah, why are you going to die on this hill? And we decided that the proper response to that was asking them, well, are you going to kill me on this hill? If you're going to kill me on this hill, then apparently it's important to you too. Because, yeah, if they they want you to stop beating the horse, they need to be willing to declare that it is dead. Right. And so it's like, I don't know, I'll move on from this topic if you're willing to admit that reading and listening are two different verbs for a reason. Right, but they're not. They're They're not. They're like, like, why don't you stop beating this dead horse? It's like, so do we agree? Well, no, we don't agree. All right, then let's gallop on. Right, he lives. (laughs) (laughs) Nay. (laughs) Let's climb aboard this horse and trot off into another conversation. Yep. 
Yeah, uh, he is not dead. But but anyway, what does that have to do with education? I'm well, what following. it has to do with education is that, and we can talk about education, is that there are going to be people who would go, oh, they're talking about education again. Do we have to keep beating this dead horse? And so Clearly. it's not dead. Yeah. Clearly, because we have another example. Yes. We have a, a pastor I, who... I feel like it's been a long too many minutes since Mandy has talked about parenting, honestly. That's what, <laughs> do you think we're going to talk about education without talking about parenting? We're going to... Trust me. Oh, honey. Trust me. All right. So this is a, a pastor friend of ours, and I... I want to stress that this is a friend. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who's been on the podcast. And so. Um, oh, I didn't even know that. Yep. Okay. Carry uh, on. My 12-year-old daughter brought me a school library book because she didn't want to continue reading it. And I've asked her to notify me if anything like this happens. Okay. So good for him. Yes. Um, she only made it as far as she did because it was a reading time at school and she didn't want to get in trouble for not reading. She's a rule follower. Uh, unfortunately, by page 66 of a 300-page book, she had already uh, encountered multiple uses of the F-word, a discussion of oral sex, and what it means to be a slut, in quotes. Mm -hmm. What would you do? This is what he puts out to the group that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there were a number of responses back and forth. All of Many of those responses are from people. These are all friends of mine, so I'm not... I'm really not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Um, but one of the guys said, there, there were several people who said, you shouldn't have, your, your daughter should be not in public school. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that that would be the attack that I would take. There were, you, they, she shouldn't be in public school. One of the other guys said, uh, we started in my church, we started a homeschool co-op back in 2020. And we've got like 160 people now that yep. show up twice a week for that. Yep. So there was that discussion. So it's, it's, it was a good discussion. But one of the guys said, glad, so glad that you're taking action. Proud of you and not surprised. You are, if anything, a man's man, not afraid to fight for your kids and others. I would expect uh, to not receive much, if any, support from anyone in the elective position or from the school. No disappointment as you'd have to... Uh, uh, no disappointment as you'd have to anticipate something better. But as much as you don't want to have to spend the time and energy to do it, I agree with the others about making a huge stink about this. So others were saying you should go to the school board, you should um, yeah. you know, show up at the meetings, call start the right teacher, to the principal. Call the principal. Yeah. Right. This is a case where I think exposing the deeds of darkness fits, Ephesians 5.11. I would guess they'll do nothing and you're faced with a decision about whether or not to pull her out of school. Um, but I'm glad that you're not taking this sitting down and ignoring it. Mm -hmm. All right. And so I think that the, the conversation as we, as we, as like, <laughs> that was Luke just setting his phone down on gingerly, the table. Gingerly putting his phone down. <laughs> it's like spiking a football. <laughs> uh, uh oh, there are. A, look, it's my little boy. Oh, Andrew's calling. Yeah. Should I'll I pause? Oh. You can we pause? I think I can. Yeah, go ahead. Do, do it. it. I'm sorry. Okay. All right, we're back, Carl. Uh, so that the, was Andrew. Andrew was on the phone. And, Andrew's fine. He's he doing fine. He doesn't know who's in his family. He's taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to figure out the family tree. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's Dad says to I him. I said, it's your, we're doing a podcast. Uh, and he said, hey, Carl. And we, we didn't tell him that we'd, pa we'd paused it. So Carl, so Andrew says, hey. But I said, yeah, your sister and your brother-in-law are here. And he goes, oh, really? Which ones? Oh, no. No, I only, I, have, I only one. have one. And we're laughing. It's like, no, you don't. You have two you brother in laws. Well, we didn't tell goes, him how many. He goes, oh, yeah, I forgot about Corey. <laughs> Corey like, is Luke's brother in law. Brother -law. <laughs> Married to Luke's sister. So technically, he's in the mix with all the brothers in law all the time. But And, and to be fair, everybody in this family, in the extended family, sort of treats each other. We're all kind of equal. Well, and all we the cousins really call of all of the grandparents, grandma and grandpa, even right. if they're not officially their biological grandparents and right. so we all get called aunt or uncle depending on if there are who it is even <laughs> right. if they're not technically your right yeah. so technically we've done this calculation before technically luke's sister megan her kids and tabby's kids 
my sister Tabby's kids are not related by blood at all. No. Because Megan and Corey are married and not and not Branyans. Right. And then Tabby married Joe and who is Tabby is the only Branyan in the mix is what I'm trying to say. And right. so her kids and Megan's kids are have no genetic relation. But they still act like brothers and sisters. Yes, for but they're all, all being raised together. So yeah. so I I guess I guess I can't blame Andrew in the same way that I can't blame one of his five-year-old nieces or nephews. No, no, because <laughs> it's confusing. confusing. He, he considers Corey a brother-in-law and Luke a brother-in-law but he did, and Joe a brother-in-law. He did straight up just forget that Joe exists. So. <laughs> that <laughs> did happen. True. That's true. We said, who's Tabby married to? He goes, oh, yeah, Joe. He's yeah, like, I so. forgot about him. And then he goes, is, is he, he there? Is he there? And we're like, No. <laughs> no. But we're going to tell him. He's like, you know, maybe no, don't tell him. But we are definitely. We will definitely tell him. We told him. Carl and, <laughs> and the internet. Yeah, we're, we're telling everybody. Uh, anyway. All right. So this uh, this homeschool thing or this, or this public, public school, school thing. thing. This public school thing. There are, there are people, Christian people, ministers um, and whatnot, who, who think genuinely it's a good thing to stand up for to stand up for what's right, mm-hmm. you know, you, and you've got these, you've got these horrible things being taught, these these despicable books, whatever, yeah. in in school, and so somebody should stand up and protect these children from this stuff, which which is correct, you know, you do have to protect children from this kind of stuff, um, but the the problem is that, and this is the dead horse. Uh, the problem is that the public school system is never, ever, and has never, ever been um, trying to create Christian people. The public school has never been about raising Christians. It's, it is raising humanists. It's raising uh, people of the state. It's raising tools of the state is what the public school is trying to do. Now, People are going to get upset with me, and they're going to go, "Well, my I know some great Christian teachers who have to profess their faith and live their faith out and shine a light for Jesus right. in the public school." And those and teachers ought to be able to tell you personally all of the reasons they cannot raise their children in the classroom like they would teach a Sunday school class. Correct. You know, they should be able to tell you and agree with the thing that is being said here yes uh, i mean uh, the 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 christian teachers who know what's up would agree with me when when i say that public school does not exist to to raise christians right and if our job as christians is to raise christians and it is that is our job as parents um sending them to public school is in opposition to that job and so where, where the mistake, the, the trouble that I have with this exchange going on with these guys who are friends of mine is, look, even if you're successful, even if you go to the public school board meeting and you get them to remove this book from the library and you get them to give you a handwritten apology and you get them to say, yeah, we, oh, my goodness, this book shouldn't, this book shouldn't have been on the shelves. Burn them. That's one book. That's one book in one instance, mm-hmm. right? It's it's you haven't won the battle, you haven't you, know, you haven't won the war, and you really haven't even won the battle. It's just a, it's just going to roll right on in the same direction. It's not going to make, it's not going to make any difference because the public school is not going to go. Oh yeah, we are. Uh, we're really this is Jesus would not be happy with us for doing it. This is not. This is not God's plan. <laughs> we have disappointed our Savior. We have, yeah, we have. We have turned our back on on the, the righteousness truth. of God. Yeah, they're not ever going to do that they, because uh, this guy wrote a letter, an email to the principal, I guess, and the principal wrote back, and the first line in the email, according to this guy, was one of the things that we're proud of at this school is our diversity. Yeah. And Are, so it's game over. Can I explain yeah. that? Like, can I help I the know, Christians understand what that means? Because, because they are speaking a language very similar to Christianese, except it's secular humanese. What that that principal had no idea that that was going to be seen as a red flag by Christians. No, having that first sentence be "We are proud of our diversity" is a good way to virtue signal in the circles that he runs in. Right. Like people, it's like it's like a church saying, 
um, we we welcome everyone, you know, or some like the way that a church would say it is anyone is welcome. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you'd say it that way. Um, we recognize that as being a Christian motto or cliche because it's got the word cross in it. His is basically making the exact same statement, except he's using his religious language right. when he's saying it. Diversity. So, so what I said to you earlier when you sent these screenshots to me, Dad, was he's discipling his kids. Right. He's doing a pretty good job of teaching his kids to speak that language. And if Christians want their kids to come away sounding a lot like that principal who thinks he's being a pretty decent guy, but like building bridges and trying to calm the storm, like obviously there's an upset father. I don't want him to be upset. I'm going to see if I can get us on the same page here. What could possibly be wrong with diversity? Right. You know, we're all equal. Um, right. He's just trying to communicate using his religious principles a good thing, you know, trying to offer an olive branch. And so if you don't want your kid coming away thinking that good people value what that guy means by diversity, you simply cannot keep putting them into the public school system. Right. That guy is a product of it. People who think that that diversity is always a good thing and never negative, it could never mean anything negative, they're products of this same machine, the same institution. And so um, what I... What I said was, to be fair to the school, it sounded like this was not an assigned book. This was not part of the curriculum. This was just a situation where a 12-year-old went into the library, grabbed something with a cool cover, and started reading it. Started reading it and And, discovered that it was something that her family would not approve of. Yeah, and to her credit and to the parents' credit, um, came to them and said, hey, I don't think this is good. And so as far as a Christian family is concerned, it's not. But also, as far as a Christian worldview is concerned, the fact that the daughter found this piece of worldly literature and took it to her father has now made it an actually very good thing. Like the whole situation has now been redeemed, which is a Christian word we like to use. Um, Because now, instead of being sheltered from what actually exists in public school, it's now been turned into a teaching opportunity. Right. Um, Right. It has been. Yes. It, it, It. Potentially could be a teaching opportunity, but that seems to be not the direction that the that they're wanting to go. Right. At least some of the people are like, no, you need to go and shut this down and raise a stink and, right. and go to war and fight with the pagans because they're acting like pagans is basically what, right. is what it boils down to. They're, the, the principle is telling us straight up what their religious philosophy is. We want everybody all of these different divergent views to be mixed together. That's that's what we're proud of. We're actually, we are actually proud of the thing that you're telling us to stop doing. They want to throw as many conflicting perspectives into a child's head as they possibly can. Correct. Because in their mind, that's opening their mind. That's right. giving them lots of avenues that they could potentially explore. Right. You know, and, and, and not confusing at all for a young well, child. Well, as, as you were going to, as you were pointing out, it is an opportunity for teaching yes. um, when you're exposed to divergent ideas, when you're exposed to ideas that are contrary to what your family believes when you encounter different values, then yes, it is an opportunity to grow, but you have to have a place where you're standing in order to teach those right. those values. It's, it's not good to just have all of these divergent ideas tumbling around, you know, with no with no ground to right. land on. And that's what's happening in school. You've got all of these ideas, but none of them are being put forth as the correct idea, right. the place where you drop an anchor, and then you can evaluate all these other ideas. Well, what I what I said to you was, I'm concerned that the Christians tend to take these opportunities and they overcorrect instead. And then they declare something at the school board in their frustration. They'll say something like, no 12-year-old should be reading sexual material. Right. Something like that. And that ever the problem is that's not actually true. true. That is that is, in my opinion, it's the desperate cry of a parent who feels helpless because it has suddenly occurred to him that he has given all of the discipleship over to the government, and the government employees were the ones who were present when this child picked out this book, picked out a book that she needed help with. She needed guidance, right? And it's like 
if we think of it that way, when we go, oh my goodness, our children are always going to be running into these different philosophies. They need guidance. Who are we going to get to guide them? If we think in those terms, it makes absolutely no sense to hire a state employee who we have to train to act kind of Christian sometimes mm-hmm. to disciple our children. It doesn't make any sense. That's, that is, at best, including a middleman who's going to be doing an inferior job, at best. You know, at worst, it's going to be a complete um, undermining operation happening right. from this government employee. So if you want her to be raised Christian and guided when that material falls into her hands or, or runs in front of her eyes, you've got to do it. And right. and the good news is that you are equipped, especially as a pastor, especially as a, a practicing Christian ourselves. We are equipped. God gave us the children he gave us for a reason and with purpose. And so when our children see a big sign hanging from the courthouse wall last summer that said, my body, my choice, I am equipped to pull my van over and talk to them about what that means. Right. Not not go cover your eyes, children. No child should see that slogan. No child should see this at their 18. age. Yeah, right. nobody at should some, know at some arbitrary age that I've picked out in the future. Right. Yeah. But I'm also not going to like call my representative and be like, "You got to take that sign down right now." It's right, like because it no, goes against our values. This is the world that my kids were born into, and it is my job to equip them for it now. And so, thank yeah. you. Thank you for this teaching opportunity. I will take it. The number of times that I have had people come at me when I've said, when I've taken a stand on anything, uh, and they'll say, well, uh, you'll change your tune if your child ever comes to you and says (laughs) such and such. You know, if your kid kid came to you and said, I'm gay, then you'd feel differently about it. And it's like, yeah, I promise you I wouldn't. um, Because the reason that I arrived at this position is because I have children and I thought, what do I want my children to know about this? And so this is what I tell them. Right. And so it, it's not likely that any of my kids are going to come to me and say I'm gay because I headed that off years before it was potentially going to happen. Right. We, we don't shelter, we guide, we talk yeah. about these things. And yeah. and it's and it's it works. It is good for Christians to stand up in the culture and be counted. That is a good thing. Um, but when it comes to public school, it is a it's a losing battle. Well, it's like sending the, your kids to a mosque to a Muslim imam, and then being mad when they teach them about and then being like, Muhammad. let's just go to the board and try to get them to teach Jesus at the same time. It's like right. they're never gonna do it right. well. Why would you do that? Yeah. It is, it is like that. They're, they are humanists in the school. They're, they're pagans and they're humanists, and that's what they're going to teach. And it doesn't make any difference how much noise you make. They're going to continue to teach humanism. That's, uh, that's All right, how. Luke, say something funny to take us out. <laughs> Bye, Carl. <laughs> Thanks for visiting the Comedian's House. If you want to spend more time with our family, you can follow John Branion on YouTube and Facebook. Also email nextdoor at johnbranion.com with your comments and questions. We'll see you next time.